Hello and welcome to the Energy Talk podcast. This is part two of our episode on the Mauritius oil spill. And if you're listening, then I assume you've read listening to part one. But if you haven't, then I highly recommend you listen to part one before you go on with this episode. As it'll help you understand the background to the event that led up to the oil spill and what the ecological and environmental uh, damages were. So I will keep this very short and let's continue on with our conversation with Yvonne. Who is going to be held responsible for this event? Is 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 it a, a clear as say it's the fault of the shipping company or it falls in the terms of the response? Is it, is it a clear-cut question or is it more complicated than that? Well, I, I would say that there is, you know, there is, it is a bit complicated indeed because, you know, the, the, the ship vessel, uh, f- those flags of convenience, often it's a very... It's not a very transparent regime, and they often, through the laws of the sea, often tend to favor uh, ships over over countries. You know, you know, ships sometimes have the right of passage. Um, sometimes, you know, they will. We will see whether it's a bunker carrier or or a non-bunker carrier, and depending, then there's a different sort of liability that um, that can be that can be made. So, I think the first thing we need to see is. Um, to really look at uh, the source of funds, right? Well, f- first of all, I would say in terms of process, everything has to be documented. Data is going to be essential. The government of Mauritius, civil society, NGOs, and experts need to come together and put an exact sort of uh, um, collection of data of what has happened, what has happened on the boat prior, what has happened on the boat, look at the logbooks, look at the state of mind of the captains, file the proper charges against them. That's one. Two is to document everything that people have done with pictures, evidence of everything. And then thirdly, uh, start the, you know, have a, have a court determine very quickly um, who is responsible for that, um, a court based in Mauritius. And, um, and then look at the funds. So, you know, you, as you may know, the bunker convention certainly may apply, but, uh, and, and, and Mauritius and Panama are parties to this, but Japan is not. Uh, as I understand, Japan acceded in July, but this convention doesn't enter force into force for Japan until October. Um, the, as for the bunker convention, this would, re- of course, require the uh, the ship owners to carry insurance, which I I would imagine they would. Um, and the ship owners appear to be Japanese. Uh, there are also IOPC funds, which uh, provide compensation for such spills from tankers, not for ships. Yep. You mentioned IOPC funds. Could you just clarify what that is? Yeah. So basically, there are funds that exist where sort of companies have been part of, and um, they can, you know, whoever is, whoever thinks that they can basically apply for these kind of funds um, can do that. So, so basically, there are two intergovernmental organizations, right? So they are known as the IOPC because of the uh, the fund of 1992 and also the supplementary fund. And so they basically their objective is to provide compensation for uh, oil pollution damage resulting from spills uh, of persistent oil from tankers. So, um, you know, they do that for member states, right? For, for member states who are part of the IOPC fund. 
So these funds are financed by contributions paid by some entities that receive certain types of oil by sea transport. And they are based, the contributions are based on the amount of oil received in the calendar year. Anyway, so to, to get back to what I mentioned, um, the Mauritius needs to look into that, I think, very quickly. And um, the, in terms of, of you know, liabilities, um, I think it's, it's, it's quite clear to me that um, you know, it was in the Mauritian waters. Um, the ship itself derailed from its, uh, from its uh, original course. It did not respond to uh, Mauritian coast guards. Um, and also, you know, we need to see what kind of other leg legal regimes uh, may apply. But certainly there may be some limits to the, the amount of compensation that, that could be made available. And that's also depending on the categories that these kind of damages are available for. Um, you know, of course, ecological disasters are now accepted under international law. But uh, the extent and the nature is not entirely well-defined all the time. And if we assume that the Bunker Convention follows the precedence of the IOPC funds, it may be challenging to get some adequate compensation. So that's why I think, you know, and again, we also need to look at some of the marine and ecological oil spill laws of Mauritius, which I don't believe are entirely so strong but which need to be amended also very, 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 very quickly. Um, and, you know, because there, there are experiences from around the world, um, Deepwater Horizon incidents in the U.S., um, you know, there's in terms of the acts, there's the oil, U.S. Oil Pollution Act, which is quite robust. Um, and there are different provisions, you know, such as the liability funds, which helps to facilitate the response and compensation. Um, but that, that happened also because of political pressure by the U.S. administration of President Obama to get precisely a very swift response from BP and um, different types of compensations and commit commitments of compensations. Now, we know that the legal process dragged on for many years, and I think Mauritius should not shy away from from, from or, or be uh, afraid of that, but rather do a very strong, solid case against against this, um, this company or the companies associated to it. Um, and... You know, the responsibility is one thing, the liabilities is another, compensation is another one. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's a story of human tragedy and, um, and, and ecological tragedy. And so in the medium term, short medium term, sure, there has been contributions from abroad, from the Mauritian diaspora, from Mauritians locally, from companies, from the government, relief funds set up. There's been donations here and there. I believe uh, some governments have also proposed to, to help. Um, all this is very good, but we also need to know how it's going to be used in a very transparent way. Uh, just because we get the millions of dollars doesn't mean that the problem is resolved. On the contrary, that's when the problem starts, because now we need to know how to use it, who's going to use it. Uh, is it a series of pooled funds? Are there creative ways to use it? Um, how transparent is it going to be? What are the, the monitoring and evaluation tools? So there's a lot of, of robust approach, which I would like to see in any type of uh, grants, facilities, uh, financing that come through in the near future. 
And I guess we have to we have to go back to the governance and to talk about the political impact of this because as you mentioned, just just having the compensation coming in isn't enough to to fix all the situations because then it goes into another uh, degree of problems. Uh, I don't know how deep you can get into the the regional politics, but you mentioned earlier that uh, there were a few demonstrations, both in Mauritius and internationally by by Mauritius citizens. So, what is the response to the government by the people at this time, and what are the expectations that the people of Mauritius are having for the government as a response to this? Well, first of all, people are really, really upset. I think every Mauritian is upset. You know, our relationship to the ocean, I mentioned my, my early days as a child, uh, that has never gone away. Our relationship to the ocean is a very strong one. We are islanders. We are ocean state people. Our great-grandparents came from India, from, from Africa, Europe. They passed through the oceans on ships. So we are connected to, those, to, the, to the ocean. You know, every, every weekend, Mauritians go to the beach. Uh, and over the years, those beaches have shrunk because of privatization, because of state crown lands and, and public beaches being uh, either sold, rented or given to friends and, and private companies. It's, of course, very upsetting uh, to see that our beaches and the stretch have been much, much smaller over the years. So there has been already, in that sense, a an anger by Mauritians to see their, their, their beaches shrink over the years. That's one. Number two, in terms of the exact oil spill issue, people are extremely upset at the sheer number of days that it took for the government to react in a, in a, in a smart way. Um, we are not convinced by the reasons given as to the weather was not so great, the expert told us that nothing was going to happen. Um, we, we are not convinced by these. We've even checked the weather. Maybe the weather was 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 you know the weather did look quite good actually those days. Um, that's one. So so we are asking questions. People are upset, and there's been a culmination I think of other issues as well. Uh, people are going through a very difficult time, as you know globally as well. The challenge of uh, not finding a job, losing your job, losing your pension, being made redundant. Um, attrition, you know, there's a lot of different social uh, labor issues that are also at play right now. Number three, you know, the government itself is a 30%, 37% in sort of of the electorate voted for the current government. The rest was the opposition. But because we have a, a first past the post political system and not a represent, not a proportional or political proportional representation one, uh, that means that we there is a large opposition. And too often, for too many years, the different political parties always put each other at odds, right? That's politics. But that has to change. And that's why I've also gone back to Mauritius to try to do something different, which is to show that we have to build consensus on national agendas and, and stop this sort of evilification and, and demonization of political people and character assassinations uh, that has to stop because that's not going to help Mauritians. And so, of course, the, the political parties right now, the opposition parties, are capitalizing on this incident to say, you know, government, please go. And uh, you're illegitimate or, you know, you failed and then leave. Now, there is some, there is some, you know, understanding to that because people are really upset. But I think we should, we should put more, 
the focus on citizens, help citizens realize that they voted a particular government that has failed in its first and primordial task of ensuring national security. Our national security was jeopardized because that boat could have been bringing terrorists. It could have been bringing uh, oil, um, nuclear waste. It could have been bringing all kinds of problems on it. So uh, explosive, you name it. But so, so thank God it wasn't the case. At least that's what we know. Um, but people are upset. They, they, they want to see a different way of doing things. But for too long, it's been the same thing. There's been promises and, you know, uh, people feel gullible, feel vulnerable. So they, they go towards the politician who makes uh, the bigger promises. And we need to realize as a, as a nation that we, there are no saviors in politics. There is no supreme savior. Perhaps only the Lord is, is the savior, but not, not, not the common politician. Definitely not. So what we need to see is, is, I think, over the next few years, is to ask ourselves some serious questions. Why are we in the state that we're in? What kind of leaders do we want? Are we going to give a chance to new people to come forward? Or are we going to vote traditionally for big, large, powerful parties which have no sense of uh, transparency in terms of their financing as well? It's very opaque. Uh, opaque, and and so we we need to we need to look at those questions, and we need to see how we're going to hold our MPs, our members of parliament, and ministers and policymakers accountable, and also as a private sector. For me, it's 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 a it's a broader picture of public and private. Uh, we need to see much more responsible investments from the private sector as well. So, so my, I'm 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 not a, you know, I'm I'm an optimist. I'm definitely an optimist. I'm not uh, uh, like many politicians, all doom and all evil, uh, pretending that everything is going to go bad. On the contrary, I returned to Mauritius after 19 years because I believe in the power of the people, because I believe in the future of this country, because I believe that we have a, a very, very bright future ahead of us. If we capitalize on our people, if we capitalize on our, on our um, investments on research, development, uh, have a high level of education, make our country become sophisticated in terms of our products and services, in terms of investing in sustainability and having the right people in the right institutions. The governor of the central, the, 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 the Bank of Mauritius have become less and less independent over the years, which is a very risky thing as well. So, so this is just to say that people are upset. They want change. But whether it's the majority that is more than 500,000 or 600,000 people who are upset, that remains to be seen. Because don't forget, Mauritius is a very comfortable country as well. Over the years, we have become so assisted and so helped, given so so much generosity, in term, so, so many generous packages in terms of our pension, uh, etc., that people don't feel the need that there is a real stake out there to challenge. This is not the Mauritius of the 70s where labor activists were being jailed. But now, because of the COVID-19, because of our uh, smallness as a nation in terms of our economic uh, potential, we need to be very careful that we don't fall back into, into again, a situation where people become so upset that they will, they will, they will crush everything. Uh, because history has shown, even if there were to be a revolution tomorrow in Mauritius, and as I speak right now, there is a, a massive process in Mauritius, uh, does that mean that we'll, we're going to get a better form of government? 
we need to ensure that if we were to have a, a revolution, if people were to say we want uh, new elections, that we don't replace uh, a bad one by a worse one. So that's why it's very important to remain logical, rational. It remains important not to be angry, but to follow the rules of the law and order and to sort of build awareness across the country on what you know how we live i mean so many people don't know how finances are built don't know how the economy is run don't know what are the why the environment is an economic issue it's not an environmental issue only but it's an economic issue that ministers of finance need to take these issues on board at the world bank that's what we were doing we were preparing ministers of finance to understand the the economic aspects of the ocean of natural capital of why investing in a mangrove brings you additional revenue for the future, of why restoring your shrimps uh, and their coastal communities and where they live matters for the future in Thailand, and why investing in the blue economy is going to bring more returns for the future. Uh, why is it important to decarbonize your economy? The shipping industry is one of the most pol biggest pollutants in the world. They need to be held responsible. It's a capitalism which has eroded without any checks and balances. So on one hand, you have the private sector, the big multilaterals who are, who are not doing enough in terms of decarbonization and moving on a path of sustainability, especially in the shipping industry. But on the other, you've got a, you know, uh, very few checks and balances in countries like Mauritius that are fully enforced. So I think these, these need to be corrected. But I would also say for Mauritius moving forward on, on the oil spill especially, uh, it has to work very closely with members of the, uh, International Maritime Organization to ensure that some of those waters in Mauritius are declared safe passage seas for the seas, um, because that you know every year there's thirty thousand or more ships that pass through the area, and the Wakashu is not the first crisis that has happened, and it's definitely not going to be the last one. So we could anticipate that more of these crises happen in the future. There are some countries in, in the Asia Pacific, which I'm not going to mention, who have a lot of waste, nuclear waste, toxic waste, energy waste, who have waste from, 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 from uh, trash. Where are these going? These are going to Africa. These are going to other parts of the world. And how do we know that they are not being this diverse in our lagoons, in our, in our territorial waters? Mauritius has a large exclusive economic zone. We don't have the necessary satellites or surveillance or GPS to sort of see in real time whether these are being diverse in the, diverse into the ocean. So we're going to need much more rigorous uh, attention to that. Every year, some of the small islands in the Indian Ocean lose around $250 million only because of illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing. Globally, we know that's around $86 billion since 2012. That's enormous for, for the world, and in this case, the $250 million for, for, for countries like Mauritius. We could have gained much more if we had a healthy um, fishery governance systems together with other countries. There are programs like the Southwest Indian Ocean Fisheries Program that exist that, that Mauritius and, and other countries can really benefit from by a better fisheries governance system. So what I'm saying is that Mauritius, in this age of the fourth era of industrialization, where there's going to be dramatic changes in terms of labor, climate change, um, automization, 
blockchain, AI, etc. Mauritius needs to be a winner. There's no way out. It cannot be slugging behind other countries. We often claim that we're the number one in Africa, but you know, when I look at Rwanda, Nigeria, there's so many innovations happening right now, which countries are, are, are amazed at and, and seeing the potential of those countries and the youth of those countries. There's no reason why Mauritius shouldn't, shouldn't also capitalize on that. Which country right now in Africa is the Silicon Valley uh, of Africa? Which town is it? Which is the pa Paulo Alto? Right? So these are the types of questions that I think we need to ask. And instead of just, you know, uh, saying we are unhappy with the government or we need more young people in, 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 in parliament, we need to do it. We need to walk the talk. We absolutely need to walk the talk. And now, Yvonne, um, uh, I'm sure as many of the audience listen to this episode, they're wondering how can the international community help and what can they do to learn more and just be a part of the solutions going forward? Because this is going to be something that's going to affect the next five years or so. So how can the international community and how can the listeners start to learn more further and just be involved with the with the with the solutions? Right. Thank you very much. It's a very, very important question. So I would say the first thing is that, you know, the government of Mauritius needs to have a multidimensional and multi-sectoral type of support. So where you have both companies, organizations from the international community and experts, both local and external, can sit down at the same table and provide the best possible solution. I'm hopeful that a task force that they've put up goes along those lines. If it doesn't, then it's already failure on arrival. The second thing it needs is we need experts, that is real experts who have tested solutions and knowledge and experience with ecosystems, health impacts, restoration, rehabilitation, monitoring and evaluation, impact assessments, and who can do that kind of job very quickly. We will need, I think, also a coalition of countries and companies, friendly countries to Mauritius, who can help Mauritius in, in fighting those fights. Because now, you know, again, as I said, there's going to be more boats coming up. We need to find a way to declare all these areas safe from the sea passages, right? Um, we need to help Mauritius on the, all these legal procedures. These are not small things. These are very, very, um, you know, these are, these are very di difficult and dangerous domains for countries who don't know it. So they need to be armed up with the best lawyers, with with lawyers who have worked on those different cases, whether it be in the Gulf War, whether it be in the BP, Erica, you name it, all the big, big problems, uh, oil spills of the world. If we can get those types of lawyers who understand the context, the political context, and understand these issues, together with Mauritian lawyers, of course, I think would be great. So, uh, thirdly, I think um, we need to, to put pressure on the shipping industry. Mauritius needs to lead a global coalition of countries and companies to ask for changes on the shipping industry that, you know, uh, oil, because we know that, you know, global trade, 80% of global trade goes through the sea. So that's not going to change. It's only going to increase with population growth and, and expansion of economies. So that means that small islands that have very rich resources, marine resources, aquatic life, need to be protected very quickly. We need to get our ducks in a row. We need to ensure that we have all those types of sewage companies, uh, salvage companies, uh, oil pumping companies. These need to be ready within minutes 
national coast guards, surveillance, need to be ready and anticipate these kind of crises in the future. The best way Mauritius can prepare itself is to be prepared for the future. The biggest risk it has on its country is to not know that these risks exist. So it needs to also amend its laws, uh, whether it be, you know, we don't even have a climate change law, but on climate change, on the ocean economy, have an ocean bill, have a bill on oil spill, have a bill on on um, responsibilities, liabilities. Um, I would say also that we need a lot of investments for the future. Mauritius needs to find creative ways to leverage investments, maybe have a third party uh, cleanup with uh, bonds and and um, hedge funds with um, sustainable financing to really invest in the blue economy and the green economy. So we need that kind of large-scale, predictable, impactful, um, creative blue financing uh, that can certainly support the cleaning up, the revitalization of our, of our coastal infrastructure, and invest in people who have lost out out of the result of this, and ensure that the future the fishermen become more wealthy for the future because i think that's a, a community that has that has traditionally been impoverished you know there's a lot of social ills around those areas whether it be drugs prosti- prostitution uh whether it be um you know children growing up in in difficult families in difficult areas we need to do much more for the coastal communities from from, from those who have suffered especially as well and especially the impoverished one because, um, you know, without this kind of investment, they will remain poor. They can't possibly live on a day-to-day living. I think that has to change. Uh, they need to probably go for longer periods on different sh- sort of, sort of um, areas, banks, where they can really fish, m- many more fish and more high-quality fish as well, as opposed to live on a day-to-day living um, and, and, you know, use little boats. They need to use much more sophisticated boats as well just like in Norway. Um, and I think moving forward, we will need transparency at all levels and accountability. So to the extent that countries can pressure Mauritius in a, in a positive way, not, not in an attacking way, but in a positive way to ensure that they can uh, uh, show transparency, accountability, and build, rebuild that trust. Because again, the collapse of the ship, you know, in 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 Mauritius, Venezuela recently, this month, uh, in Lebanon, right, with a with a Moldovan flag, these are all basically a collapse of the trust between different parties, between governments and people, between companies and the people, and and it's a, it's a vicious circle. So we need to rebuild that trust, and I think Mauritius needs to rebuild the trust w- among its people. And between the people and the authorities, there's a so, there's a whole social compact that needs to be rebuilt. It's a quid pro quo uh, relationship. We can't. The, the 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 crisis has shown that we can't depend all the time on a government. So, moving forward, there's going to be more pirates. There's going to be more drug trafficking. There's going to be trafficked people, human trafficking. There's going to be dumping of oil, dumping of waste dumping of nuclear waste, toxic waste, rubbish, you name it, illegal fishing. There's going to be a lot of these externalities that need to be factored in in our economy and our trajectory as a nation. And that can be done only when the trust between the people and the government is reinstalled. 
And that's why I think it's great that Mauritians are stepping up, civil society is stepping up, the voices of people are being heard. For too long, it's been a, a country that people were afraid to speak up. This was also one of the reasons I wanted to come back to Mauritius is to, to, to say it loud and clear that we should not be afraid. We should speak up. The COVID-19 bills that have been amended tend to show that Mauritius has moved a bit more in terms of, um, um, you know, closing off and repressing political, civil and economic rights. The freedom of speech is not always welcome. Uh, there's not always liberty of expression. Sure, it's better than many countries, but it's still not at par with uh, European countries. I think we should go towards, towards that. And we should also um, see to it that the justice and administration of justice and human rights and, and political civil rights are fully enforced. We still don't have a Freedom of Information Act. We still don't have a Right to Information Act. If we had these, perhaps we would have seen what had really happened. So all in all, I don't think, so, so all in all, I would say that I, not everything is lost. All these incidents, all these catastrophes are, sometimes there are opportunities around them. Sometimes they are blessing in disguise because it gives a push, it gives a impetus to the people to step up and to rise up and to say enough is enough and to find solutions together. And I think that's the path that I would like to see Mauritius go forward, at least from, from my perspective. Thank you so much for spending your afternoon, evening or morning with us on the podcast today. I really appreciate the time you spent with us. I know this was a very um, long first episode, even it was in two parts. And uh, it was a very heavy way to start the um, the series off. Um, personally, this episode, um, having this conversation with Yvonne and preparing for it, just made me understand the importance of what exactly it is we're doing here on the podcast and how important it is to take responsibility and truly transform our global energy systems and be prepared for the future because the way things are going right now isn't really promising for the future. So um, thank you for joining us. Uh, I really appreciate you making it up to the end. Since you have made it this far, please consider leaving us a rating and a review. It helps us massively. And also refer to a friend or a colleague. It also helps out very greatly. Um, thank you for joining us on the podcast and uh, I hope you join us next week. This has been your host Olubumi Alachide and have a lovely day. I will see you next time.